Yo, 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 Guam people, it's your boy Mo, aka the Hoop Genius, back with another episode of the Hoop Genius podcast alongside the man, the myth, the legend, the man who don't even need an intro at this point, but I'm going to intro it anyway, just to raise the gas levels a little bit, due to have NBA <laughs> champion, but we know him as the point guard guru, Mr. BJ Armstrong, thank you for coming through once again, my brother, how have you oh. been? Oh, Mo, it's, it's always beautiful to be back. Thanks again. I'm back. We're talking hoops. Hey. You and I, it's the playoffs. <laughs> what more could we ask, Mo? We in basketball heaven right now. Hey, I've been loving it, man. I've been absolutely loving it. Let's just go straight off the bat. What's What's been, if you had to say your biggest highlight, you know, the, the, either a player or a game or a team, what's been your standout thing to watch so far? About the We're about a week and a bit in now. What's been the number one thing on your mind? The number one thing that stood out to me in this playoffs, you know, we currently, you know, just started here is game one of the New York Knicks versus the Atlanta Hawks. <laughs> the fans back in the building, that to me, Mo, is it brought back so many memories of like you got the Mecca, the Knicks back in the playoffs. You know, we've been away. The fans haven't been in the building for over a year. And that image and the electricity in the building was just incredible. I mean, visually, it was it was amazing to watch, to hear it. And you could see the relationship with the fans, the players, the league. To me, it just brought back, you know, like, okay, we're back. We're back. We're headed back in the right mm -hmm. direction. So that, to me, the visual just stick has, you know, it's like stuck in my mind of saying, you know, watching the game in the bubbles just wasn't the same. Watching the game on television with no fans in the building, but you can see how important the fans are. So that relationship to me is what has stood out most thus far in the playoffs. Just break it down, you know, from your perspective of being a player, the difference in playing at Madison Square Garden compared to every other arena in the league. Because every player that I speak to, everyone says the same thing about MSG. They say that even though the Knicks have been so bad for so long, they say it's still... The micro basketball. Obviously, when you were playing against them, they were a bit better than they are now. You know, the Knicks back in the nineties were looking at contending right. in the East. So, just break it down for everyone. What what separates MSG from everywhere else? Well, to me, it was just the relationship with the fans. You know, there's a lot of trash talking, and in particular, in New York. Right? You got that mm -hmm. New York swag. You mm -hmm. got that New York attitude. BJ, you suck. The Bulls <laughs> suck. The Bulls stink. You know. Da, da, da. the Belvin when you check in the hotel, you know, everyone is like a Knicks fan. You walking in the street, you walking to get something to eat. Knicks, Knicks, Knicks. And then after the game, hey, good job, BJ. Hey man, you one of my, you one of my favorite, you know, hey, the Bulls are one of my favorite teams. But when you are playing the Knicks, you know, it's like the Knicks are like everywhere. So to me, it was just always a level of respect. And I love the energy you know, I, you know, I, I know Spike, you, you get a chance to know these people and you get a chance to know the fans and the intimacy of the building is just unique because they're like right on top of you. I mean, they're like, it's right there. You are like, you know, they're literally on the court. So it was, it was always great. I loved it. The fans, the, the, the trash talking. And then after the game, Hey man, good job. And everybody goes their separate ways. So that to me was always very special. It always held a special place in me, in my heart. And it was always my favorite place to play. You know, that's that's a sick perspective because I'm obviously coming from the complete opposite perspective. My first ever time going to MSG, I went to New York City to meet some of my family who live out over in the States, right? 
And uh, my sisters, they were like, yo, we're going to go shopping. We want to go to all these shops and, you know, see all the things that we've seen in Friends and in the movies. And what. I was like, I, I don't care about that. Listen, I heard the Knicks are playing the Timberwolves tonight. It was like a random night in December. It was like a Wednesday. I'm like, listen, I'm going to go watch the Knicks versus the Timberwolves. I bought one ticket and I've got my own. And everyone said, yo, you're crazy. What are you doing? Good? You know? But I went there. I sat up in the nosebleeds because I don't have a lot of money to buy nice tickets right. with. So up in the nosebleeds. And the atmosphere there was just, I walked in and everyone is just, <laughs> mad mad friendly I, I don't know how to describe it because i'm end up in a nosebleed but the whole row and the whole people around me we're all having a debate about kevin love because he was playing for the timbles at a time so we're having a debate about kevin. i was like yo this is just like being at home with my friends but these are strangers but i'm here it's yeah. the atmosphere was crazy and i'll tell you a little funny story about that is you know i was in new york with my mom one time and and she comes back in and then she goes to me yo do you know who nick is and i'll go what nick who you know what i mean i'm thinking like she's talking about Nick Jonas, like a singer or something. She goes, do you know Nick? I go, no, what are you on about? She goes, everyone keeps coming up to me and asking if I can sell them Nick tickets. And I'm <laughs> like, mom, I'm like, mom, listen, <laughs> listen, I got to teach you a thing or two right now. Sit down. I'm going to show you this. Come on, Anthony. But, but, you know, that's, it's just mad love in New York. I got a lot of respect for the fans, but I do feel like we need to address, you know, some of the other fan issues that have been happening. Right. Now, obviously, you know, talking about the fans in Utah that have been saying things to John Morant's family, I don't, I don't think we need to discuss them because that's just wrong. Flat out wrong, full stop. You know, it's, it's disgusting saying those things to his family members, to anyone, really. Um, but I want to talk about the incident with, with Kyrie Irving in Boston. Obviously, it's wrong for the fans to throw the bottle at him, but let's take it back to Kyrie stomping on the logo that people seem to be upset about now. Now, I'm a Celtics fan. You know me. I, I might be the biggest Celtics fan that you know. Right. Honestly, I, I, when I saw him stomp on that logo, I didn't really care because I, I was just like, so what? You know what I mean? I'm like, that, that's kind of lame if we're keeping it 100. I laughed a little bit, then I carried on my day. But the fans, you know, uh, the fans seem to be really upset. KG was upset, you know, Robert Parrish, Big Baby, a lot of the former Celtics players, because obviously it represents something huge to them. But what's your take on, you know, Kyrie stomping on the on the Celtics logo at center court after the game? And then obviously the fans throwing the ball at him afterwards. Well, you know, you know, Mo, first of all, you know, there's this one word that I, I, I hold in high regard. It's called respect. Mm -hmm. In order to get respect, you got to give respect. And to me, there's no place in my life where I don't give respect. And, you know, when I played that game in the NBA, whatever I'm doing in life, period, right? This is just a... You know, I, I just look at it as, as these, I look at these situations as teachable moments for all of us. You got to give respect. And it's all funny games to talk trash and do those things. It's all funny games to incite the crowd. It's all funny games, you know, you're the hero one moment, you're the villain the next. But then afterwards, you know, there's a line here that you just don't cross. You know, when you start doing things and you're disrespectful, Okay, this is what's going to happen, whether it was intentional, unintentional, or what have you. It's called a respect, right? The players have to respect the fans. The fans have to respect the players because I don't know where this is all going, Mo. And I'm beginning to get a little nervous here of what could happen because the fans are so close to the players. The players, you know, you know, they're, they're human beings behind those uniforms. I know they're their heroes, they're, it's entertainment. 
But behind that, there are people with feelings, families, emotions, and all of those things. And I don't know where this is going. So I think we have to get back to the core and get back to our principles of respecting one another. You know, I'm all for having trash talking. I'm all for you rooting for your team, booing for your team, and doing all those things in a respectful manner. In the, in, in the scheme of things, you know, Mo, I, I'm a little older than you. And, you know, and, and I say this with respect. You know, when I played, Mo, I, I always felt a responsibility of family entertainment. Mm-hmm. And whenever I would swear, my mom would call me and be like, <laughs> I saw that. <laughs> okay. You know, just a little it's in the Armstrong household, right? Yeah. Okay. When I'm, when I bring my kids to the game, Mo, I, there's like, you know, I never, I'd be like, mom, come on. It's like a game. Who, who cares? Right. You say whatever, but when you have kids, Mo, and you can see that it's like, Wow, as a parent, my mom was right. My mom was right 30 yeah. years ago. She was right. So again, we're all here in this beautiful place, right? It's it's great entertainment. You know, you can't complain about the pay. You can't complain about the business. The business is continue to move in the right direction. But let's all be respectful for what the players before us built. Mm-hmm. All of the people that have participated in the game. The fans have built, we've all built this to where we're talking about arguably one of the most popular games in the world. Let's be respectful to it because as quickly as we've brought this to this level, it can all disappear too, Mo, you know, mm-hmm. because I don't know where this is going. I don't want to bring my kids to the game and not feel safe in the building. Yeah. Right. We've seen some things happen over the past that we don't need to go back and revisit that have happened that haven't been, you know, you don't want your five-year-old, you going to a game with your, 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 your son or your daughter and suddenly players are running in the state. You, you don't need yeah, that. You yeah, don't yeah. want that. So again, let's just get back to respect. That's the word. Let's get back to that and continue to, to enjoy because it's a beautiful game. And um, you know, I just, I just, I can remember, I can just still recall my mom saying, hey, what are you doing? She didn't care about the game. She didn't care whether I won or lost, but she was like, hey, I saw you swearing on television. Stop it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Listen, mom's always right in the, at the end of the day. But, um, you know, one thing that, you know, I just want to circle back regarding, you know, the Celtics fans, just to get your take on it. Um, we had a bit of a, a weird statement from uh, Danny Ainge responding to when Kyrie said, I don't want to hear any any racial abuse and whatnot. Danny Ainge saying, I've never heard any racial abuse, which, you know, I, I don't know what to make of that. But from your perspective, going and, you know, you've talked about playing at Madison Square Garden, but talking about going and playing at the Boston Garden, that element, if you're going to get super serious with it for a second, what's, what's your take on that side of things? Is that something that you hear a lot? Is it just in Boston or other markets or is it fans anywhere? You know, if we if we keep it one hundred, what's what's it really like from the player's perspective? Well, you know, Mo, Mo, you know, if we can keep it real, you know, players, arenas, the world, no one's immune from anything, right? Mm-hmm. You, you, I, no one's immune. Okay, I'm not here to target just people in Boston. Look, I, I, I'm, I am a black man who grew up here in America. Okay, I've, I've, I've heard it all. <laughs> okay. All right, I've heard it all. Let's just call it what it is. Now, 
how I choose to react to this, that's my power, how I choose, okay? And I've heard it all. I've seen a lot. Um, I can't say I've seen it all because you continue just like, wow, you know, and, you know, it is what it is. And, and that and that's okay. Now, the one thing that, you know, again, where you draw the lines when people start touching you or throwing stuff at you, because now someone could get physically hurt. And that's one thing. So I get it. And 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 I'm not here to, to pick on one fan base or whatever. Like I, I've played, I've seen it all. It, it is what it is. And every player, especially in that era, will tell you, that's just, that's part of it. Now, it's a different time now. I get it. But certainly people are going to say things and that's okay. I, I mean, I've, I grew up in the city of Detroit. So that wasn't the first time I was exposed to a lot of different things. <laughs> okay. I, so I, I've been called just about everything under the book and that's okay. That's, that's all right. I, I kind of, well, it's not okay, but I hear what you're saying. It's, yeah, it's not yeah, okay. I mean, like, it's, it, listen, I know I'm not here saying it's okay to use those terms. I'm not going to say it's okay yeah, yeah, to yeah. say it, but people are going to say, I'm not, I'm not here to like act like, oh, like well, I'm surprised or, you know, like that's what it is. I mean, I, I, I grew up in Detroit. I played for many years in Chicago. I went to school in Iowa. I played in New York in the South, on the West, all around the world. Okay, something's bound to happen. So, you know, it is what it is and you keep it moving. I feel you, man. I feel you, you know, you're right about how, how it reacts, but I do feel, I don't know whether it's because I was saying to you earlier, I don't know whether it's because everyone's been locked up for so long in their houses that they've forgotten how to act in public. But when I see the popcorn being thrown on Russell Westbrook as he walks off with an injury, the water bottle at Kyrie and, that the, the woman who spat on Trey, like, I just think these things are mad because you wouldn't do that to anyone. It like, like you don't do those things in your everyday life, let alone to an NBA player who, if we're going to be real about it, is probably double the size of you. You know, like if, if that guy who threw the popcorn on Russell Westbrook was standing next to Russell Westbrook on the street after the game, do you think he's throwing the popcorn at him? Or do you think he's saying, yo, can I take a selfie with you? Well, you know, that's, that's my issue. Like, there's just a level of cowardice because they feel protected by, oh, I'm a fan. They can't do anything to me because then they'll get in trouble. You see, you see the problem with it. Yeah, I, I do, Mo. But you know, you know, Mo. I've been in groups my whole life, and there's a there is a real thing called group dynamics. There's a real thing, right? If you are by yourself, you're gonna act a certain way. Well, you're part of a group. The group takes on an energy all into itself, all right? I'm a huge music fan, as you know, Mo, yep. and when you go to a great concert, you know, a Kendrick Lamar concert, right? Mm -hmm. The group takes on its own energy. And it, yeah. it, it's true, you know? You're yeah. in the group, you get caught up in the group, right? If the group is rah, 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 suddenly you get rah, 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 <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it just is what it is. And I get it. Mo, I'm not saying it's right, but I get group dynamics. When you go to a great concert, like there's a group. When you go see a great player, 
everyone in the building knows what's going on and how they feel. And it's an amazing. So I get the energy that's in the building and we have been in isolation. Okay. Living out here in LA. But when I'm in traffic, there's some things I'm glad they're in the other car because people are sitting in traffic <laughs> and I get it. <laughs> you know, I, it's just like, I don't know how I get it, but I think it's because I've been in groups my whole life. Yeah. So I'm not condoning it. I'm not saying I am an advocate of it, but it just, when you're in isolation mode, people handle it in different ways. And aggression is part of, it's part of it. Absolutely. And uh, I think we should become aware of it. And it's very unfortunate that it happens, but, but Mo, like it really is when you're in the building and you're feeling good and your team is good and you're on a comeback, Mo, come on. You can't tell me you haven't been caught up in the hype too. Hey, this, we we I, all have, right? But there's something here that don't, that doesn't allow you to go over the edge. Like there we go. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, yeah, like, uh, absolutely. I know what you're saying. You know, when, when but, I say I'm, I'll keep the same energy with anyone. Right. So if I right. was going to throw a popcorn on someone, it doesn't matter if I'm with a hundred people or if I'm by myself. That's right. my whole thing is I simply have no desire to throw popcorn on Russell Westbrook ever. In regardless of, the, even no. if he drops 70 points and beats the Celtics to a pole, there's no way in which I would have that desire to want to do that because I just think that that's just not normal behavior. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. I, for I, sure. I, I see what you're you saying. Know what I mean? Cause I mean, yeah. you, you don't do that kind of thing in real life. So don't forget that this is still real life because one day when a player snaps and jumps back into the crowd, then all of a sudden reality hits you in the face. And and now you're crying and, oh, he attacked me. I'm going to file a lawsuit, whatever. I don't I don't respect him, man. But that's enough about that, man. Let's talk about some real basketball. Let's talk about what the people want to hear about. Talking about, you know, let's start with the Knicks series then. Seeing as, as the crowd is, is the number one factor here. We're about to see game five, I believe, at Madison Square Garden. Trey Young has fully embraced the role of the villain, and I love it. I'm here for it. They're chanting Trey Young's bold in. They're chanting Trey Young's. So I love it. It's what I, what I thought was kind of lame was they were passing out flyers on what to chant. I thought, listen, if it's a good chant, it will catch on organically. You don't need to be doing politician campaigning for a chant against Trey Young. I thought that was kind of corny, but we're going to see them return to the garden tomorrow night. Uh, depends when you guys at home are listening to this. They're up three one. Right. You think the Knicks are going to turn this around? They've got the home crowd behind them now. Tom Thibodeau, I know, is screaming in their ear. Julius Randle, as great as he was in regular season, I don't think he can play much worse than he's played throughout the series so far because it's a different ball game with the whole defense focusing on you. Do you think the Hawks are going to close this out or do you think the Knicks can turn this one around? Well, you know, looking at the first four games, the Hawks have – you know, honestly, I think the Hawks have really played excellent basketball. I think Nate McMillan has this team playing terrific. They're playing playoff basketball. I mean, you can see their veterans, in particular guys like Danilo Gallinari. When you get 20 points or so coming off the bench, that's a huge thing because you, you, you get unexpected contributions from places you're not really counting on. And the Knicks have yet to find that combination other than Derrick Rose. Derrick Rose has been terrific, whether he's coming off the bench, now he's moved into the starting lineup. But the other guys aren't playing to what we've come to expect during the regular season. In particular, you're talking about Julius Randle and R.J. Barrett. Now, Julius Randle and these guys, this is their first go around. Yeah. And playoff basketball, as you know, Mo, is a it's a different, it's a it's a it's a different animal all into itself because you have to make adjustments 
from quarter to quarter, from game to game, from half to half. And right now, the Knicks basketball, what we've come accustomed to, they're going to grind it out. They're going to be tough. They're going to defend and they're going to do all of those things. And that's great during the regular season. But once you get to the playoffs, you're going to, every team is going to make adjustments and they're going to take away something. And thus far, with the exception of Derrick Rose, because Derrick Rose has been, I mean, he's really been spectacular. I mean, he's having like a, a throwback moment. I, I, <laughs> you told, know, I told you he should have been sixth man of the year. Yeah, he's I'm, having I'm not, a, yeah. I'm, I'm not hearing that two guys from Utah can be both be sixth man of the year because one of them's a seventh man. Derrick Rose should have been the sixth man of the year. I'm going to just say that right now. I said it to you on the show a few weeks ago. Right. But I hear what you're saying. He's been yeah, he's yeah. been the next best player in the series. He he he's he's had a, a he's gotten to the fountain of youth somewhere in in, in Manhattan. He's found it right. Mm-hmm. He's he's going back to the old D Rose, and mm-hmm. now we got to get Julius and RJ to figure out how to get adjusted to playoff basketball. And you have to make adjustments, right? Every team comes in with a game plan, but you make adjustments, you know. And in particular, Julius Randle because. What you've learned, whether you are Michael Jordan or Will Chamberlain or Kareem, when you are the, the number one guy on an offense, right? The late Kobe Bryant, that team is going to take away something in your game. And you have to figure out how to manage that, but still play within and have a delicate balance with the team. And that's what Julius Randle right now is learning in these first four or five games. What's the balance be, between saying to be, stay aggressive, but also take on the double team so that the other guys will give him the space that he's looking for? The one thing about Julius Randle that I've watched is the Atlanta Hawks have done a great job of making him play in a confined space. Mm-hmm. He has he doesn't have any space to operate mm-hmm. right now. And the only way he's going to get space to operate, which every great player know, and I hope he's listening. Well, I know the New York Knicks fans are listening, mm-hmm. is <laughs> let the game come to you. Patience, young man, patience. And that comes with age. So Julius Randle will learn this. He's had a phenomenal season. I think we talked about it earlier. He's had an MVP caliber season. He's definitely, he played this year like a top 10 player. And if he just continues to have patience, trust the system, trust the game, trust his instincts, what comes with time. This is his first go around at it. I think the Knicks will be fine because the Knicks only have to win one game down in, in Atlanta. Right. And they got three time, they got three chances. So, you know, they're over two right now. If they can win tomorrow night, I think they can go down there and win and get a game seven. seven uh, I'm going to have to be looking at plane tickets if that happens, but I do, while we're talking about this series, have to give credit to Nate McMillan. First of all, if you remember last year when they fired him from the Indiana Pacers, I said they were crazy because they, yes, they said they fired him for first round exits for every season he had players injured. And now this year without him, they didn't even make it to the first round. They, they lost right. in the playoffs, right? So um, Neymar Millen showing whatever why he shouldn't have been fired. The, the logic was before this series is, oh, the Knicks are going to target Trey Young on defense. They're going to do hunt the mismatch. Off the screen roll, they'll get the ball in Julius's hands. Hunt the mismatch with Trey Young, post him up, get buck every time. The defense that Nate McMillan has installed in Atlanta, first of all, starting with Clint Capella, who I think all the Knicks players are having nightmares about because I'm seeing possessions where they're even scared to shoot the ball when he's in the paint and they're settling for, for mid-range fadeaways because they don't want to attack the rim with Clint Capella there. But the reason why they've not been able to exploit the Trey Young weakness on defense, because he is not a good defender, 
is the speed at which Trey Young can recover back to his man. Do you see what I'm saying? The rotations that they've got in place to hide Trey Young essentially on the defensive side of things. So that's why you see a lot of lineups where they kind of stagger Trey Young's minutes with Bogdanovich's minutes because they're both kind of weak defenders. But I think all the credit has to go to Nate Millen for defensively because we all knew they had the offensive firepower in Atlanta to, to, to score. But defensively, what Nate Millen has done there has been absolutely nothing, nothing short of absolutely spectacular. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he had, I mean, look, you, you're going to do something. And watching what Nate has done, he's done a great job. He's made some adjustments, right? We all know Trey Young is probably not an elite defender. Bogdanovich is not an elite defender, but he's figured out how to funnel those guys because he has an elite shot blocker, a rim protector, which is absolutely essential in today's game. And Glyph Clint Capella, you know, give him credit because he's been a very dominant force in this series on the defensive end. However, when you're playing in the playoffs, you have to figure out how to get to spaces on the floor that gives you a significant advantage. And one of those spaces would be either you, whoever uh, Trey Young is guarding. I have, I have two options here. I can take him to the post because of his size, because he's not guarding Derrick Rose or the point guard. He's guarding spot up players, in particular, Reggie Bullock. Mm-hmm. Okay, Reggie Bullock is not a player that goes off the dribble. He's not a player that goes to the post. So it all co- it always comes down to matchup. So there are two places that you can take advantage of a mismatch. You can go to the post, accept the double team, and now you got to find your shooters, or you can go to the pinch post, which is the only place on the floor mode that you can't get double team. Okay, all of the great players that have ever played always play from the pinch post, right? One of your, you know, as a Celtic fan, you just give the ball to 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 Paul Pierce and let him operate, mm-hmm. right? You let him operate from there. You can see now you can visualize Kobe Bryant. You can visualize Michael Jordan. Mm-hmm. You can visualize Tim Duncan. That's the one place on the floor you can't double team. So if I were the Knicks, I would be exploiting the pinch post area with Trey Young and Bodanovich on the pinch post. <laughs> yeah, <my laughs> Okay. I, I would. That, that's just me knowing what I know about playoff basketball. Okay. When you think of Giannis, watching Giannis now, just put him at the pinch post because that way you 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 can't double team him. Kawhi Leonard, if you want a shot, just put Kawhi Leonard there, put LeBron James there, put Anthony Davis there. That's where the great players play. So hopefully the New York Knicks will get Trey Young at the pinch post allow him to play from there and then you operate and then you live with the results. But Reggie, you know, one glaring fact uh, or stat that looked out to me and I'm not huge on the stats was Reggie Bullock played, I think 30 something minutes and had zero points mm-hmm. in the last game. Okay. Reggie Bullock is too good of a player to not get open looks because that's what he does. He's been terrific all season, but most importantly, they're not involving him in the office to where he can get clean looks. You know, getting a look and a clean look is a different different game. So I think the Knicks will probably shore that up a little bit, and then we'll see where that goes from here. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm interested to see how this game goes because I would love it to go to a game seven. I had the Hawks down to win it in six because I think they'll close it out when they go back to the ATL. But game seven, as we discussed earlier, would be fantastic. Looking at the rest of the Eastern Conference, uh, if you want to know our takes on the Milwaukee Bucks and the Miami Heat, we just did them on Sky Sports Heat so go check that out on YouTube. We'll give them a little plug right now but uh let's talk about i i I just want to say this to you i want to say this to you right the Celtics are down 3-1 to the brooklyn nets and they're more than likely going to lose 4-1 okay rob williams is out kemba is out 
Right. Jalen Brown has been out for the whole series. Right. If Jalen Brown is in, this series goes to a minimum of six games, if not a game seven. The Celtics in game one were in a position to win until the final few minutes. Game two, they lost. Game three, they won. And game four, we're missing three stars, right? I'm just saying, as much as the jokes have been flying about the Celtics this season, the regular season, and my criticism for them all season long is that you're playing playoff-style basketball throughout a 72-game regular season. That's just an unfair ask on Jason Tatum. But the way that they play is really built for the playoffs. We're talking about operating in a pinch press area. Give the ball to Jason Tatum. Let him operate like the superstar is. Give the ball to Jalen Brown, who's come out as an all-star. So I just wanted to say that right now and, and just get that one out there, that the Celtics aren't as bad as everyone thinks. They've just struggled with injuries all year. And similarly, I think that the Milwaukee Bucks are looking at this series waiting for them in the next round and thinking, you know what? If they're losing to this Celtics team, missing three of their stars, we can very easily beat them. Well, not very easily, but, you know, it becomes more real than before, looking at looking at the Nets on paper. Do you think that they've become, you know, dropping that game against when Tatum dropped the 50-piece, they've become more kind of humanized rather than looking like the Avengers assembling in Brooklyn? You know, I, I've said this from the beginning of the season. I've never seen a team mole win an NBA championship that couldn't defend. And if the Brooklyn Nets win the championship this year, they will be the first team to do that since I've been watching the NBA. You know, defense has always been a staple of, you know, a championship caliber team. And when you start, you know, you, you, you hear players say it all the time, you know, you know, defense wins championships. And it's kind of cliche, but it's the truth. If you want to find out who the best team is, you know, more times than not, they will be a very good defensive team, okay? The Warriors get a lot of, over the last five or six years, they got a lot of attention for their offensive outbursts. But secretly, they were probably, if they weren't the best defensive team, they were the second best defensive and team in the NBA. Draymond was the best defender in the NBA for at least three years stretch there. Yes. And then, you know, you, you go to San Antonio. San Antonio's staple has always been defense. Michael Jordan, he averaged 32 points a game, but he was an elite defensive player, him and Scottie Pippen and Dennis Rodman. And, you know, whether it was the late Kobe Bryant and Shaquille O'Neal, you always need defense. Now, offense is fun. Offense is exciting. Those guys can score with the best of them. But when I think of defense, you know, James Harden doesn't come to mind. That's not the first, and that's not a knock against him. He's just not an elite defender. Okay, Kevin Durant, you saw the improvement, I thought, from Kevin Durant when he went from Oklahoma to Golden, Golden State. State, especially on the defensive end. I, th I think he okay. bought in a bit more. You know, yeah, he yeah, he was to a, do so much. On, absolutely, because he can cause havoc. I mean, he's, I mean, he's really, I mean, he's a seven footer. So you, you know, he's very versatile. He can defend on the perimeter. He can defend at the rim. I thought he was doing a great job of blocking shots and using his length. And okay, and Kyrie, I think is doing much better than he has done in the past on the defensive end. But however, you know, you need players and you need to get stops on that end if you're going to be a, a, a championship caliber team. Yeah. You need, you, 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 you got to stop the ball, right? You can't just outscore the other team. That may happen during the regular season, but in the playoffs, you got to stop somebody. 
So the Brooklyn Nets are an interesting team because you're saying, hmm, just maybe, <laughs> just, <laughs> just maybe. If they defend at a respectable level, I think they win it because they have three players that can score 40 or more points at any given moment during the game. I mean, they had two players what in the last game that scored like 40 points, right? I think KD had 42. I think Kyrie finished with 39. So they have that part of the game figured out. But can they stop someone? Can they depend on their defense to get that critical stop in the last four minutes of a game? That remains, that's a huge question that remains unseen at this moment. And I think they have, you know, they have superior offensive talent, no doubt about it, no questions in my mind, but it's very, very hard, Mo, to win a championship just on one side of the ball. And they are without question an elite offensive team. So then when we look at the Eastern Conference on the on the other side of the bracket, we've got the Philadelphia 76ers, who I wouldn't call them an elite offensive team, but defensively, Yes, they've got Joel Embiid anchoring down low, Ben right. Simmons defensive player oh, of the man. year caliber, yeah, yeah, yeah. and yeah. and the funny part is is Ben Simmons being the defensive player of the year, he's not the best defender on the team. I think right. Matisse Thybul is the best player on the Philadelphia 76ers, right? So they've got three guys that are elite defenders, and then Danny Green has proven right. to be a championship level defender on those right. Spurs teams. He took the hard assignments on the Raptors teams. He did great jobs on defense. And Tobias Harris, who's not exactly a bad defender. And then right. you've got guys coming off the bench, Dwight Howard. He's been a defense player the year how many right. times. He right. still can jump out of gym. So how you, like, assuming, let's say hypothetically, the Bucks go, uh, the, the Nets beat the Bucks, and the Sixers, I expect them to be the Wizards and, and get past the Hawks. How do you see that kind of offense versus defense going with the Sixers and the Nets? Do you think the old adage of defense wins championships rings true? And Doc Rivers takes that side to the finals. I, I really do. I, I'm just going to stick to the principles of the game. You have to be able to stop the other team. Okay. Because here's the championship mentality mode that I, I think every championship caliber team has, has taken this since 1946. Yes, the game has changed. Yes, now we play in threes and all of those things. But here's a championship mentality. If Mo doesn't score and I don't score, the score is still zero zero. I got a chance. Mm -hmm. If I can't stop Mo, I have no chance. Mm -hmm. Okay. The Philadelphia 76ers, they're the best defensive team over here in the Eastern Conference, without question. If they can be, if they can remain healthy, I mean, that's been a concern for them. I mean, both of their stars have been out and has missed significant time during the course of the season. And then went down Simmons, last night. And MB went down. Okay. But if those guys can remain healthy, they are going to be a problem. Not because they're going to outscore you, but we know they can score. But defensively, they can get after you. And they have big bodies, big athletic bodies. Okay. That's a problem. And Joel MB not only is athletic, he can rim protect. So that gives them an unfair advantage when you start, you know, looking at them versus other teams. They can stop you. If they're making shots and they're defending like we know they can defend because that's always a staple of a Doc Rivers team. Say what you want to about Doc Rivers. Mm -hmm. Doc Rivers teams are going to defend. Mm -hmm. I know <laughs> Doc it. Rivers I, bro, deserves I, credit. I know it. <laughs> yes, I mean, K 
Kevin Gar that Boston Celtics team that won a championship. What is it? Was that 08? Was that 08? That was an amazing team. What Doc did out there in the Clippers, amazing team. Doc Rivers in Philadelphia. Defensively, you're going to defend if you play for a Doc, if you play for Doc Rivers. So I like what they do, what they do on the defensive end. I think they have shooters around their best player, Joel Embiid. But the most important thing, right? The most important thing with this team is can they remain healthy? That's been a problem with them. I'm not, I'm okay with Ben Simmons missing free throws. I'm okay with him maybe not being a consistent 20-point scorer. That will come with time. What do you think about the hacker Simmons tactic that the Wizards piled last night, though? Intentionally, it's, okay, it's, Simmons it's, it's okay. I'm 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 okay with that. I'm okay, I'm okay with that. Listen, the playoffs are going to expose every weakness of your game. Okay. And I had a coach tell, tell me this once. He said, don't let what you don't do well affect what it is you do well. So Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons is a great talent. He's not a good talent. He is an elite talent in, in the NBA. Don't allow free throw shooting to affect how great of a player you can be. That's just practice and repetition. That's just practice and repetition right there. Okay, that's okay. Right now, you're not a good free throw shooter. I can, I'm okay with that, but don't allow that aspect of your game to not allow you to reach greatness. Okay, that's it. Now, let's move on. I love how Doc Rivers' answer was this kid does so many things well. I mean, what he does defensively, he causes half. He's a one man wrecking crew out there mm-hmm. on the defensive end. He, he guards smaller players, he guards, you know, scores. He can block shots. He can play in transition. And he is, uh, when you say selfless, I mean, he's, I mean, I would love to play with Ben Simmons. I would love to play with Ben Simmons now. I, I, hey, Ben, I'm in the corner when you get done doing your thing. I mean, he does so many things well that contributes to winning. And the last piece to his game, if you want to wrap a nice bow around it, is he's going to, because he has the potential to do it. He should be a 20-point game scorer. He should be a Scotty Pippen level score in the NBA because he's a very unselfish player. I mean, Scotty was a selfless player. Anyone who's played with Scotty Pippen loved to play with Scotty because he just, he's moving the ball. He's playing, he's a six, eight, six, nine point guard. Ben Simmons is the same player. So I think over time, Ben will do those, but now get in the gym, work on your free throw shooting. And then what are they going to say after you, after you can consistently do that night in and night out? Welcome back, Hoop Genius Podcast. It's your boy Mo, aka the Hoop Genius, alongside the point guard guru, Mr. BJ Armstrong. We've just broken down the Eastern Conference. So now let's head over to the West. BJ's out there in Sully, California, right now. I'm extremely jealous. It's a little bit sunny here in England, but he in England is just, it just feels like, ugh, like sticky. Do you know what I'm saying? There's no right, ocean right. breeze coming through, man. We just got pollution cars and angry people so but let's let's <laughs> let's head out over to the western conference where, where do we start with this man the western conference we, we, let's talk real quick about the utah jazz because th- sure. they're gonna go I, I believe they're gonna win it in in five games that first game a bit of a hiccup playoff nerves maybe the grizzlies were aggressive still on the confidence boost to beating the golden state warriors but now that donovan mitchell's back mike Conley's back healthy they just got too much overall talent i think for the memphis grizzlies so i think it's a great learning curve for John Morant and the Grizzlies, but do you think they can steal another game? 
Well, with John Morant, I really do, because this young man is exciting, and he has shown the ability consistently throughout the series to get to any place on the court that he desires, and he has what every point guard loves or they got to have in their game. He has the floater, he has the runner, mm. and by the way, he can finish over the top. So <laughs> you And he is a problem for Rudy Gobert because he's forcing Rudy Gobert to do something that he's not comfortable doing, which is he has to, he brings him out from under the basket because we know Rudy Gobert is one of the elite rim protectors in the NBA. I think the Grizzlies have to have a steady diet of that. And if, if they're going to get another game, let alone win this series, they're going to have to attack Rudy Gobert every single time on the floor so that he can't stand behind the defense, protect the rim, because that's what he does. He does that naturally. And if they can do that, I think they have a chance to at least win one more game in the series. And the thing about attacking at Rudy Gobert every time down, get him in foul trouble. If you can get him to pick up two fouls early in the first, the coach is going to have to be forced to bench him for a long stretch. Then if you can get him to pick up the third and even fourth foul in the second quarter, then the second half of the game has an entirely different dynamic of Quinn Snyder not know whether he wants to run Rudy or save him for down the stretch. And then we saw it in game one. That was the big reason that the Memphis Grizzlies won was they had Rudy Gobert fouled out when there was still like eight minutes left on the clock. So right. taking him out of the game completely, because then Derek Favors ain't protecting the rim like that. They've, no one's coming in off the bench to offer you that level of defense. So I see what you're saying, especially with Ja Morant. And, and I feel like more than anything, this is the advantage that Ja Morant has over every other young player. Or well, I say every other young player. Like, like right now, though, Luka Doncic, Jason Tatum, Devin Booker, they're not young stars. In, they're just superstars. Let's just put a full stop on that. Those guys are superstars. So when I say young players, I'm talking about the RJ Barrett's, the Zion Williamson's, the super young guys. The advantage that John has is now he's got all this playoff experience. He's got this experience of leading a team in the playoffs, seeing what teams throw at him, seeing what teams try to shut down. Meanwhile, Zion's at home. RJ Barrett is not the lead man on the Knicks. So he's not getting the full experience that, that Julius Randle is getting. So that's the advantage that, that John Murray's having. But, you know, speaking of those young guys, Luka Doncic, Dallas Mavericks, LA Clippers, Got off to you, you should have seen the way I was thinking after those first two games in LA. <laughs> I, I had I had so many jokes ready. <laughs> I was here sitting here and I said, I said to my friends, I'm like, listen, do you know what's crazy? Steve Bomber paid two billion for the Clippers, but Luka Doncic owns them for free. But I can't say I'm gonna save that for when they eliminate. But now I might not ever get to say it. So I'm saying it now because the Clippers have turned things around. Do you think that the Clippers can, first of all, win the series? I, I believe they're going to win the next two games because they've got all the momentum. Luke is injured. The Mavericks are hurting. They've got to knock them out now. Do you think the Clippers have got what it takes to get to the finals? Well, do I believe the Clippers can win the series? Absolutely. And, you know, the Clippers have... You know, it's... It, it's it, I watched the Clippers this year with this idea. I expected them to win their fair amount of games just because of the talent that they have. I'm not worried about the Clippers in the regular season. I'm still upset as an NBA fan <laughs> being up three, one. Okay. <laughs> we had all of this hype. Kawhi comes to LA. I can still see the, the new balance commercials. Yep. LeBron, Kawhi, Paul George, AD. I mean, it, it was set up. We're up 3-1. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. We're up 3-1, right? 
no one anticipated that they were going to lose three straight games. Like the only thing that could have been better was Lakers Clippers at Staples Center. Okay. It was already set up. So I'm still upset about that. So I'm not going to fall into that trap again. I'm saying the Clippers <laughs> are going to be because the Clippers let me down. And I'm a little upset about that because I really wanted to see which I felt were the two best teams last year, the Clippers and the Lakers, and let them settle it on the court. I never got a chance to see that. Now, you know, so here we are. The Clippers go down 0-2. I, I, I didn't hear any Clippers fans. I, I didn't hear a word out here in LA. I didn't hear, you know, I didn't know what to say, but give them credit. Give them credit. They got knocked down in the first round, and I'm giving them credit. They got back up. So there's something there. Maybe that was a wake-up call. Maybe that was the, the little jar that they needed to get themselves moving. But it's been tough, my friend, because I wanted that Lakers-Clippers last year. I wanted all of that. I needed that. I wanted that. and uh, But it didn't happen. No, hopefully it happens this year. I did the maths, and it only took 1,141 days, but Playoff P finally appeared. Much to my surprise, poor George finally did good things in an NBA playoff game. And I liked it. I'm here for it. You know, like everyone thinks that I, I don't like these guys and I, I criticize it. I call the games like I see them, right? Poor George in right. that game three, major step up for the, the first game, getting cooked and, and not, his shot not falling. Now he's being more aggressive, not settling for those mid-range shots and getting to the bucket. And the biggest thing is Kawhi not settling and getting to the rack whenever he wants. So this is the problem that Dallas has is now I like to be nice and I don't like to be disrespectful, right? So I say this with the nicest intentions. Porzingis is soft. He is too soft uh, to be seven foot two, seven foot three, and to be that soft. And what, what do I mean when I say soft? Not in terms of his personality. I mean, in terms of, okay, the Clippers have gone small, post them up. But instead, I'm seeing him try and post up and Marcus Morris pushing him out 15 feet away from the basket so he can't even get post-up position. I'm seeing him catch the ball on the block. All he's got to do is hit one drop step and finish. Instead, he's trying to hit a running hook and pass the ball out to a wing shoot. Like, I get Dallas shifted their philosophy last year and they didn't want any post-ups and they didn't want any inside. But this is the playoffs, right? You have to use it like a chess match. You have to use your skill sets to your advantage. And if they're going to go small... And if you're going to still be on the floor, you have to use your size to an advantage. That's on offense. And then on defense, you have to be able to protect the rim and be an elite shot blocker. But we're seeing Boban Marjanovic come in and perhaps have more impact in terms of those minutes in the last game than Porzingis. I think that this is a real issue. Porzingis is, you know, secure the bag and all that, but he's they're tied to him, 30 mil a season for the next two, three years. He's not a star to put next to Luka Doncic. You know, Kawhi's got Paul Jordan next to him. He's a star. LeBron's got AD next to him. He's a star. Jason Tatum's got Jalen Brown next to him. He's a star. Luca's just on his own. And I get he's young and he's got his whole career ahead of him. But if you're the Dallas Mavericks, you've got him at this level of talent. Luca's built for the playoffs. You need to find a way to make the team around him more competitive. That's my take on the Mavericks. Well, Porzingis, Kristoff came mm. into this league with a lot of hype. Mm -hmm. And he was in New York City and, you know, he averaged, I don't know, somewhere close to 20 points a game, if not over 20 points a game. 
when he first came in the league and there was a lot of hype and he became an all-star in New York city. Yep. And with that comes responsibility with that comes expectations. And he, like most players at some point during their career, they're going to sustain an injury and, and hopefully they'll come back from that injury. How, and he had a significant injury with an ACL. Now, in his defense, in his defense, you know, it's yeah. very, very difficult for a young player because he's a, he's, he's young, right? He's, he's, you know, he's a young player when he came over here, you know, there's a certain level of physicality that the game comes with. And Christoph is a, he's a, he's a, you know, I, I say either you're tall or you're a big, a big man, right? Mm-hmm. He's tall. Yeah. He's not a big man. Okay. He's, he's tall. All right. But with that height, you know, you're like, well, he's seven, three or whatever he is, you know, that's, that's very hard for him to get into those in what I call a natural basketball position to sit down mm-hmm. post because he's not a big man. He's tall. He's, he's, you know, it's like Kevin Garnett is not a big man. Tim Duncan was a big man. Kevin Garnett was tall, but now they were both the same height. I feel, I feel you. You feel, you feel what I'm saying? Like Tim Duncan is big, man. He got low center gravity. You know, okay, 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 but Donovisky. Okay. Right. Okay. He Dirk Nowinski is tall, but Dirk Nowinski. Dirk Nowinski had a skill. Dirk mm-hmm. Nowinski could make shots. Mm-hmm. A lot of people shoot shots. <laughs> Dirk Nowinski could make shots. You, you follow what I'm saying? Uh, uh, There's three types of shooter. Mo, hold on. I want to say this uh, because Mo, I could shoot a little bit. I could shoot a little bit. There's three types of shooters, though. You got to figure out which one you are. There's guys who can create shots. The Jordans, you know, the, the Kobe Bryants, the Kawhi Leonard's, LeBron James. They can just create shots. They can just create a shot. Yeah. Then there's those guys who can make open shots. Reggie yeah. Miller, he got open. Ray Allen got open. Chris Mullen got open. Okay. Steph Curry can do both, right? He can mm-hmm. create and he can make open shots. I can make an open shot. Mm-hmm. And then there's those guys who can't shoot. You got three choices here. <laughs> Bo, I'm giving you three choices. All right. You can create a shot, you can make an open shot, or you can't shoot. Porzingis right now is caught somewhere in the middle of thinking he can create a shot or yeah. make an open shot. Be mm-hmm. one or the other, though, yeah. because there aren't many Steph Curry's running around. If Ray Allen tried to create a shot or Reggie Miller tried to create a shot, that's not their game. Young Ray Allen, yeah. Yeah, but but, but he's, I hate not to the I hate of, he's not to the level. I hate. He's not to the level. He's not Tracy McGrady or, or yeah, Kobe yeah, yeah. Those no, guys, though, that's a skill. Okay, but can just, you do it the, a little the, bit? Just just real quick. The reason I say that though is because a lot of the younger fans of the NBA, or especially in the UK, they only know Ray Allen from that corner three in Miami, or right. maybe the circus. People forget how good he was in Milwaukee. and Seattle. I just have to. Whenever we talk Ray Allen, I have to bring that in just so the fans are aware that we put respect on his name. But I feel what you're saying, right? And I actually was watching game three, and I said to my friends, 
Why doesn't Dirk just walk down? Because he was in the crowd, right? Why doesn't Dirk just walk onto the floor? Because he will give you more points than Christos Porzingis will tonight. Because that turnaround fadeaway that Dirk Nowitzki's got, that's money for life. That's old man game. That's money for life. So if Porzingis is being guarded by guys smaller than him, just do what Kevin Durant does. Shoot over the top and make the shots. And if you can't do that, then body them, take them into the paint, and use your height, hit a jump hook, hit a drop step. Like, I get that he's tall and he's not strong, but when you're playing up against small players, I understand it would be an issue if he was being guarded by Joel Embiid. There's no way he's posting up Joel Embiid. But he's being guarded by Marcus Morris, Nicholas Batum. There's no way you can tell me, even though he's not big and he's just tall, that he shouldn't be getting a bucket on those guys every time. Because in my eyes, that's a mismatch. Absolutely. And I get it. I get the visual. When I look at a player, I always look at his center of gravity. Okay. Yeah. This I'm going back to my scouting days now. Yeah. I always look at I always look at a player's center of gravity. Okay. Being low and having a sh- having shorter legs is a huge advantage for an NBA player. Shots of Moxie Bogues. Okay. Because it lowers your center of gravity. Think of it as you're a, a, a pickup truck or you're a Ferrari. The Ferrari is lower to the ground. Mm. So Porzingis, if you look at Porzingis, Porzingis, he's all legs. Yeah, He will never, ever be able to battle on the post and get into what we call a basketball or triple threat position. Kevin Durant has an unusual base for a guy that's that tall. Kevin Durant can get low and cross you over. Porzingis can't do that. I don't care how much he works on that. He can't do that. Porzingis can't get up under Nicholas Batum and post him up. Kevin Durant can't. So it would appear, even though he's taller, he should be able to just post the guy up. You have to have a center of break. P.J. Tucker can guard bigger guys, and Draymond Green can guard bigger guys. Why? Because they, they have a center of gravity. That's what makes undersized players so unique. We always miss, as a scout, you always miss the undersized player. Why? Because you go, well, he's not tall enough. Who? Raise your hand if you thought Draymond Green could play the five coming out of Michigan State. Or you thought P.J. Tucker, who was playing over in Europe, could be this effective. Raise your hand. These undersized players always have an advantage because they're lower. That means they are what we call, we refer to them as ground athletes. They don't, they're not vertical. They don't jump high but they can root you out. Dennis mm-hmm. Rodman's center of gravity was amazing. Charles Barkley. Mm-hmm. All of those guys are always better because they have an incredible base and they can root guys out. So Porzingis, if you're asking what Porzingis has to settle into, which he will, what position can you defend the best? Now, they've tried him at the four. And now teams are going small. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Like, so when you go small with him, that's a problem. So now they're trying him at the five. Porzingis has to settle in what position he can defend. And then, then and only then will he have the potential to be the player we all think he could be. But whatever that is, it's not going to be what he's doing on the offensive end. It's what he's going to do on the defensive end. And then if- defensively, he's got to figure that out. Even with him playing a five on defense, right? That's all well and good regular season. Cool. That could work. 
But you see the Clippers, they're just hunting him. And he doesn't have that. You know how we talked earlier about Trey Young? When they try and switch onto him, he can quickly recover and the Hawks rotations are so good. But I, I, I will say this. I will say this about I will say this about a five. It's always important for a five or a four. And let's say you let's say you are Dirk Nowinski. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's important for Dirk Nowinski to play alongside a five who can do all of the dirty work. Yeah. Tyson Chandler. There you go. Okay. Mm-hmm. Porzingis can be Porzingis if the following can occur. If he can get a four man next to him that could do all of the dirty work that maybe physically he can't do because he'll never be a physical player. He'll never be a great, he'll never be able to set screens. Why? Because he can't get low enough to be yeah. those little guys. Like he can't get low enough to screen those guys. They're screening, they're, he, they're at his knees. And literally. This, is why, this is why people are seeing now when Kawhi's guarding Luka Doncic, and they try and run a screen roll. Kawhi can go under the screen, but still close up. So Luca's looking like he's gone under. I'm gonna pull up and shoot this. Right. But Kawhi's right there back in his face because the screen is not Andrew Bogut saying the screen. The screen is not, you know, Ben Wallace saying the this. This is is Chris that's pulling this. You know. Yeah. If, if now if he could play alongside, let's let's say if he could play alongside, let's say Draymond. Let's mm. say Draymond. Now Porzingis. Just has to be Porzingis because Draymond and those guys would do all of the work. He would guard the other team's best five if need be. He mm-hmm. would guard the other team's best four if need be. And when you're a young player in this league, and the reason Porzingis was really good as a young player because he didn't ever have the responsibility of guarding the best interior player on the other team. Now he's having that responsibility, and we're saying, "Oh, what's wrong with him?" Mm-hmm. No. It's just if I asked Dirk Nowinski to guard Kevin Garnett, Rasheed Wallace, Chris Webber, Tim Duncan, that's a different ball game. He always had a four or a five next to him that could guard the other team's best offensive player, interior offensive player. That's very, very important. So I'm not ready to give up on Porzingis. I think. Coach Carlisle has done the right thing, put him at the five, because offensively he could be a stretch five. But now it's important for the Dallas Mavericks to get a four man who could do all the dirty work. And once they get that, I think he will settle in and be the perhaps be the player that we think he can be. It's it's ironic because I think Maxi Kleber is is the best defender there. And I feel like if you were to bench pausing us, this team in this matchup in this series would be better. But you can't do that because the business side of things and the whole policies of it, that's never going to happen. But just matchups wise, Maxi Kleber, if healthy, can actually guard players. But talking about a European big man who's struggling in Porzingis, let's flip it over to some European big man who are flourishing. Jokic, Nurkic, head to head, big bodies, big ballers, series tied at 2 2. BJ, who you got winning this one? You know, not just tonight's matchup because tonight game five is a pivotal game, but who got coming out of this? Because I had Blazers in six. I've got Denver winning it if it goes seven because I just think that home court advantage, especially in the altitude of the Mile High Sea, is going to be a factor. Plus, they're going to have the crowd there and playing at home just gives you an edge. So I've got Blazers winning tonight out of the next game and closing it out. That's That was my pick from before the series started. What, what's your yeah. thoughts? Um well, first of all, it's been a terrific series. I mean, it's tied 2-2. And 
you know, I, I just, I don't know why I keep saying this. I, Damian Lillard, his yeah. level of consistency has been incredible. I mean, he just, he just goes about his business and he quietly does it out there in the great Northwest. And I don't know why I'm surprised this well, you know, at, at this stage of the season. I think the Portland Trailblazers will win this series. And here's why I think that is because the Denver Nuggets best player, if there's one weakness to his game, and I think he's going to be MVP this year, Nikolai Jokic, is his inability to defend screen role. Damian Lillard is, you know, he's getting looks after looks after looks. Now, the Denver Nuggets are going to have to take away something. And they haven't done anything, in my estimation, in four games now to deter Damian Lillard or C.J. McCullough or whatever they're trying to do against screen roll. And, and the Portland Trailblazers seem to me they have a rhythm on the offensive end. And if they can continue to get those shots, Damian Lillard more times than not is going to make those shots. Now it's a three-game series. Yeah. It's a three-game series now. I think both of these teams – can win at home, but I think Portland has a better chance of winning on the road. I think Portland. So that's why I agree with you, Mo. I think the Portland Trailblazers will win this series. I think they have an opportunity to do it. And um, I, I think the Portland Trailblazers should close it out in six. And and in the last game, you know, Dame only scored 10 points, but Norman Powell stepped up and dropped a cool 29. So right. that was a great piece of business in in the trade deadline, you know, in terms of losing Gary Trent. They thought they'd, they'd be missing defensively. But we're not going to know how much they miss Gary Trent until they come up against potentially Devin Booker and the Phoenix Suns in the next round or LeBron James and question mark Anthony Davis, if healthy. Because that matchup also tied at 2-2. Who you got? It's the best of three now. You think LeBron can carry that squad two times out of three to do it? Or is is he still hurting and they're missing Anthony Davis too much? Who you got with that? Well, Phoenix Suns looked down and out. When Chris Paul got hurt, I didn't know what to think. I really didn't. I was concerned. I was like, oh, here we go again. You know, and mm -hmm. shout out to, to Chris Paul because, I mean, he has some untimely injuries, right? I mean every year i mean he gets yeah he gets when he gets injured he gets he's, he's really hurt and i just felt bad for him because you know they, they had a terrific season a terrific regular season mm -hmm. now in saying that I, I i said it at the beginning of the year i said phoenix is a very fragile team because this is the first time that there are two young players deandre ayton who has responded He's been big time. I mean, he's, he really has. He really has more. He really has been big time. And our, our good friend, Devin Booker, because we, you know, we, we, we love guards here. Devin mm -hmm. Booker is stuffed up. I mean, he's, mm -hmm. he's been great, but Chris Paul is the anchor here. And when he got hurt and I saw his performance in game two, I said, no, this is not going to work. Game three, the Lakers come, they handle their business. And then suddenly Anthony Davis gets hurt. Okay. Now we have a series. Mm -hmm. We have a series now. I don't know where Anthony, if Anthony Davis, what he, I clearly he's see not playing this. game five is, yeah. is the last I've been told. Okay. Anthony Davis is the X factor for the Lakers at this stage because Anthony Davis can carry the game, but LeBron game, LeBron James can finish the game. 
That's yeah. key. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay. If you ask LeBron James now at this stage of his career to carry the game and finish the game, I'm not sure how consistent he can do that. Do I think he can do it from time to time? Absolutely. At, at one point in his career, I mean, he just did that was just expected. Yeah. At this stage of his career, Mo, I don't know if he can carry the game and finish the game and have to win two more games in this series. That's a lot. And he's coming back from an ankle injury. Oh. So if if Anthony Davis is not playing, I'll say this real quick. If Anthony Davis is not playing, I think Phoenix will win. And Phoenix has to win. They got to win out at home. So mm-hmm. I think the, the I think the Suns are poised now to get back on track because of the absence of Anthony Davis. I feel you. I my take is this: I think LeBron can still carry a team like that, but it will take everything out of him. So I have no doubt that LeBron could carry them to two more wins if he has to. But I don't think there's going to be very much left in the tank for that next series against Denver or Portland. And if they do get through that, I don't think there's going to be much left for the conference finals. And if they do somehow get to the NBA finals, I, I don't think it's a very long series against the Brooklyn Nets or whoever they might match up with. So, like, you know, I, I can't question the abilities of LeBron James. I just feel like in Cleveland, he could do it and then just do it again and do it again and do it again. Whereas now it's kind of like he's already coming off an injury and he's older. It's going to be a lot harder to maintain that level right. of, you know, output. So, you know, it's looking wide open in the Western Conference. And I love it because this is, as much as I love that Golden State team from a few years ago, it was kind of every season was almost, all right, Golden State going to the finals. Whereas now, it's anyone's game. Anyone can have it. You know, every team has their flaws. Every team has their strengths. Even in the East, it's no longer a guarantee of the Brooklyn Nets and, you know, going straight to the finals. Now we're looking at the Milwaukee Bucks. They've stepped up and the Philadelphia 76ers. We spoke about them earlier. But what I want to talk about just to wrap this episode up is what's next for the Miami Heat? Because it's become apparent that the bubble, as I've been saying to people for a while now, the bubble is not real. Like, we have to give credit to the teams that did well because they did well in the bubble. But when I was saying to people, the bubble's not real, TJ Warren is not going to score 50 points a night when we're outside the bubble. Jamal Murray and, and Donovan Mitchell, as great as they are, they're not going to go head-to-head dropping 50 pieces for a whole series. The bubble... I don't know what your take on it is, but from players I've spoken to, the bubble was a shooter's gym in the sense of that it was all blacked out around behind. So every time you're taking a three-pointer or taking a jump shot, there's nothing to distract your eyes behind it. The lighting's perfectly positioned. There's no fans. There's no noise. It's like practice jump shots. And that was something that the Miami Heat relied on. Tyler Harrow, Duncan Robinson, these young guys. That's why the inexperience in the playoffs didn't really matter last year. That's my take on it. And now out of the bubble... Not only are they in, you know, unfamiliar territory, but also teams are more aware of them. They're scouting for them. They're planning for them. Do you believe what the Miami Heat believe that Tyler Harrow can become a superstar in this league? And Duncan Robinson is going to be commanding a big payday. His contract's up. Do you see him staying in Miami or do you see another team uh, acquiring his services? Hmm. You know, I'm just going to cut right through all of the, the antics and the the posturing of NBA executives. Pat Riley has done something to me which has been brilliant. He has us in the media. He has people in the media and he's controlling the narrative 
by saying Tyler Hero is a superstar and he believes it. <laughs> Think about that. Think about that. Think about the value he's created. Think about that. Well, it's kind of like Bitcoin. We're not sure. <laughs> We're not sure what this is, right? You know, like, you know, is, is it real or is it not? You know, like, look, Tyler Hero is a really good player. He's a young, but he's a young player. Mm -hmm. Okay, he's a young player. He's a really good player. But Pat Riley said, he's, we believe he's going to be a star. Now, to me, Pat Riley is a genius. Why? Because he's created value and no one is here to argue Pat Riley because Pat Riley, who, who, who am I to question Pat Riley? Mm -hmm. If Pat Riley believes it. So mm -hmm. now when Pat Riley gets a call or receives a call about Tyler Hero, the narrative is we believe he's going to be a star. Whether Pat Riley actually believes that or not, that's, a, that's another question. So here's what I'm going to say. I think Pat Riley has shown over time what the formula is to win in this league. You have to have star players. So he coached Magic Johnson. He coached Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. He coached Shaq. He's coached Dwayne Wade. So I know Pat Riley knows a star when he sees one. Tyler Hero is a really, really good basketball player because he has a skill set. And in the right place, Tyler Hero would be exceptional because we know is one thing he can do at a very high clip. And he's shown that from the first day he walked in the league, he can knock down open shots. Well, my take on Tyler Hero is on his best day, he will be J.R. Smith. Like who? J.R. Smith. Sixth man type player that can come in off the bench, generate some scoring, maybe give you 15 points a night. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, and this is not the J.R. Smith we know from recent years. I'm talking about Denver J.R. Smith, you know, early New York year J.R. Smith, where he could come in, sixth man of the year, well, get a bucket. I don't see Tyler Harrow being, if we're talking about big threes, I, I don't see Tyler Harrow being a big three caliber player. Maybe the third player on a big three, but I don't see him being a superstar. And when you talk about Pat Riley recognizing as a superstar when he sees one, I still can't understand why they didn't pull the trigger on the James Harden trade. I, it, it's not computing for me. Well, I, well, I, 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 I understand. Listen, I understand why. Okay, there are a number of reasons why. Okay, you're gonna trade and give up your players, but you got to have a commitment from that player, or at least feel confident enough that you're gonna be able to sign that player back. Hmm. Let's hey. just take that. Let's say, let's say James Harden is not fully committed to saying I'm going to stay in Miami. You think you just traded? You think James Harden don't want to stay in Miami? Of, of all people on this planet, I, I, I'm just, I, 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 I'm, I'm just saying because yeah. in order to get a player like James Harden, you got to match up the salaries. Yeah. Okay. We and we saw this happen in New York some years ago. How they got Carmelo Anthony. Mm -hmm. You got to match up these salaries. Okay, you have to probably give up Bam. You probably got to give up Tyler Hero. Well, so now you deplete your team, and all of a sudden you're stuck there with Jimmy Butler and and James Harden, and they both need the ball. And Jim, and by the way, Jimmy Butler is not a three point shooter. Yeah, I'm so, here. Yeah, so the chemistry of putting together a team is is a little bit more sophisticated than saying just get James Harden. James Harden, if we get you, are you going to give us four years commitment 
to build a team around you. James looked like James came out and said, I want to win now. I've, I'm done with all this building and figuring it out. And that team, as it's currently constructed, is not ready to win right now because I didn't hear anybody saying that last year the Miami was going to get to the NBA finals. I didn't hear. Did you hear? No, it was, it was uh, the only person that said it was JD because he wanted to go to Miami for a holiday. They overachieved. And this is the price. We spoke about it last week. The price of overachieving is now it's going to happen to the Knicks or the Hawks, whichever one of those guys is going to overestimate the abilities of of their team. Right. But my thing with James Harden is if you did go for James Harden, right. And the fit with Jimmy isn't ideal. It still attracts other people to come and join them in the off season. Do you see what I'm saying? Because the the deal that was on the table was, I think it was uh, Bam wasn't involved. So they'd be keeping hold of Bam and Jimmy. And the sticking point was, you know, because they had salaries, they had like Olinic and and okay. So who who you are you know, gonna Iguodala. get? Okay, so so you got Jimmy, James Harden, and Bam, and all right, no, what what else are you gonna do? Well, that's not to Pat Riley, man. That's that's that's, no, what, that's what I'm saying. Like, what are you gonna do? Like, okay, who's in free agent that's gonna come? Like the, the hard part about the NBA, and this is going back as an executive, is how do you replace these players? Because there's only four ways you can get a player, right? You can get them in a the draft, you can get them in free agency. You can get them in a trade or that player that you have has to improve from within. Mm. There's only four ways. So if you trade away all your draft picks, if you trade away everything, how are you going to do it? Well, you you don't have anything else to play. You, you push all your chips like, like Brooklyn, they, all their chips are in the middle of the table right now. Pull money in. And I respect it though. The only way they can get better. The only way they can get better is, Someone's got to come there and play for minimal. Well, as, thing, as you always say, secure what? Secure the bag. But the thing <laughs> is with Brooklyn, though, is they did this 10 years ago. And this is the luxury. When I say not all markets are equal, we spoke about this before. Not all markets are equal because Brooklyn did this 10 years ago when all in, used all their draft picks, all their assets and everything, they flamed out. And then they've rebuilt. And have they rebuilt free agency? Katie and Kyrie wanted to come to Brooklyn. Same with Miami. LeBron. Bosch comes to join their friend D Wade. That's the thing about being in. No one's doing that for Milwaukee. No one's doing that for Minnesota, but they will do it for the Miami Heat. That's my take on it is they have a superior advantage in free agency over everyone else because of the location. And if you've got Jimmy Butler and James Harden on your team, players want to play with the other superstar players. So it's not about who's available now or who's going to be available in the summer. It's okay. Who might be unhappy with their team and demand a trade? The same way that Brooklyn acquired James Harden because he demanded a trade. Same way if, if Bradley Beal starts being unhappy or or whoever you want, you know, you name it. You don't know what's going to happen in the NBA. That's my take on it. If just acquiring the best talent. Oh, Mo, you you sound like you're the you're the disgruntled GM. You're just waiting for people to be unhappy. <laughs> well, no, it's, it's not. I'm, you're, I'm you're relying on it. Swoop them, you know, no, it's, I'm it's, just, it's, I'm, it's just not, I'm, with you. I'm not relying on it. I'm just saying. As right. it stands, if I was the Miami Heat right now, I would much rather have James Harden, even if his fit with Jimmy Butler isn't ideal, than have Duncan Robinson and Tyler Herro. That that's just my take on it. But you know, I'm not the GM yet, so that remains to be seen. We want to hear from the fans at home as well. Get us on Twitter at BJ Armstrong at the Hoop Genius. Let us know your thoughts on all the topics we covered in today's episode. BJ, my brother, thank you so much for sliding through once again. It's an honor as always. We'll be back with more. Stay tuned. Subscribe, Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, whatever podcast app you guys listen to. I don't know all of them. YouTube, Twitch, everywhere. 
We're here. We've got more on the way. Stay locked and get buckets. Thank <laughs> you.